0: you are tuned into our worship service at Friendship Baptist Church in Montalvo, Texas. We believe God desires to meet you right now in the hearing of his word. We are a small town church, but we're seeing a big size God and we are excited for you to be a part of it today. Church, y'all gonna be seated. Praise the Lord. Amen. Are y'all excited to be in the Lord's house this morning? Amen. Amen. I hope you are. I'm excited. We got a lot going on today. The Lord has got a lot for you today, for you to hear, for you to respond to, for you to be moved by. I'm just excited about what He has for us today. And so we're gonna surrender to that. Y'all know this morning, if you saw my Facebook status, y'all saw something. I woke up this morning, I didn't realize it until this morning. Ten years ago on this Sunday, I started preaching and pastoring a church that we planted in Indiana. The very first time I ever was a pastor was ten years ago today. Isn't that crazy, y'all? Ten years. Yeah, praise God. I mean, glory goes to the Lord for, for what he's done in the last ten years. And I just think, um, man, you blink your eyes a couple times and ten years goes like that, don't it? Life goes on and so does your body. It just goes on and on and on. I get it. Um, But uh, I'm so thankful to the Lord. Over these last 10 years, he's been so faithful to me. He's blessed me and my family and blessed us in ways that we could never imagine being blessed. And he's blessed our church, and I'm thankful for just the Lord. And so y'all just, let's surrender to the Lord today. Father, here we are, God, and we pray that today we'd meet with you in this place. Lord, as we have the Lord's Supper that's going to be here later, Lord, would you even now prepare our hearts for such a heavy thing? God, something that, that we get to do in remembrance of you, and I just pray that you would speak so loudly today. Lord, that we would hear so clearly today from your word and what you have for us, God, as we worship you, as we understand your promise. God, we surrender to you today. We surrender for what you have for us and we desire to respond, and so help us respond today. In the name of Jesus, we pray.
1: Amen. Are you past the point of weary? Is your burden weighing heavy? Is it all too much to carry? Let me tell you about my Jesus. Do you feel shame's done all it's stealing and you're desperate for some healing. Let me tell you about my Jesus. He
2: you mm-hmm. In every house high-
0: Father if it's true if it's true that you're Lord then God it's true that you're Lord of all. So God I just pray with all the things that's in our life God Lord that they would resemble that they are under the Lordship of Christ. And Father if there's something that needs to be placed under your Lordship maybe there's anxiety and Carriers Lord that, that Push us to a place of, of Struggling internally and, and, and maybe that's something that needs to be given to the Lord today Just Don't be anxious Over anything and Lord that's harder than it, It's written uh, we, we get that That's hard God that's why you said don't be anxious Let your heart not be troubled but Rather Lord you You tell us to seek first the kingdom of God And your righteousness and all these things will be added Unto us and so Lord I pray that you help us Seek you and your righteousness Today God Lord, we surrender under your lordship. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen, church. Y'all can be seated. Praise the Lord. I'm just going to go ahead and tell you we got a lot to get through today. So this is one of those days I'm going to tell you take your seatbelt and put it on and be ready for the ride, okay? There's a lot that we're going to get through, a lot of scripture today. But I believe that when we come to the end of this morning, we're going to be in this place of just looking at God, going, man, Lord, you, you are special. You are awesome. I adore you. I love you. And that's my prayer as we walk through this. We're going to be in Genesis 15, so you can go ahead and turn there. We'll get to Exodus 24, and then we'll eventually end up in Hebrews today, just so you know the road map of where we're heading. But before we get to those scriptures, before we get going, I want to take you all back to a place that for some of you all, it's been many, 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 many years. Okay? I want to take you back to the place called the Elementary playground. Y'all remember the elementary playground, don't you? You remember swinging on the swings and running through and playing kickball or or having the grass in your toes and, and the pebbles, all them pebbles. We had little rock pebbles that got in your shoes every single day. They were the worst. But the thing that I want to share about the childhood playground is there were some phrases that meant something to us back then. There were some phrases that were said that we said that we heard, and they meant something. There was something when they were said, they just stood out and they meant something. One of those phrases were, na na boo boo you can't catch me. Now, let me tell you, if somebody na boo booed me, it was on like Donkey Kong, right? I was going to catch you, and I was going to do something when I caught you. Or how about the saying, don't step on the crack, or you'll... Break your mother's back. Man, coming in from recess, whoop, whoop, whoop. You did not want to step on a crack. I love my mama. I didn't want her back to break. Or how about I dare you? Or I double dog dare you? Or if it was real serious, I triple dog dare you. It didn't matter what it was, you had to do it, right? You had to do the triple dog dares. You got in trouble. I tell you, the one that I was really thinking about this week was the pinky promise. Y'all remember? Man, the pinky promise—you'd hand out your pinky like this. They'd say something to you, and you'd go, and you knew what that meant. You locked pinkies, and you say, "I pinky promise you." And it was the real deal. There was an elementary code of honor. You did not break the pinky promise. It didn't matter what you just promised to, you did it and you did it right. You didn't break it. And I share that with you today because I believe God has his own form of the pinky promise. I think he has a form of the pinky promise and it's called a covenant. That God gives us a covenant, that he covenants with us. And when God makes a covenant, it's not like a man's pinky promise. Even though we try our hardest not to break a pinky promise, we still break them sometimes, don't we? But when God makes a promise, when he makes a covenant, it's God who's making it, who is good and just and perfect. It's God saying, I bind myself with this oath to keep this promise. And therefore, when he makes a covenant, a promise, he doesn't break it. Amen? And so this morning I want to talk to you about this promise, this covenant with God. And so the first point today is God made a covenant with his people. He made a promise with his people. and So we're going to go backwards just a bit to Genesis 15 before we get to our Exodus passage. We're in Exodus 24 today, but we're going back to Genesis 15 first because there's something we've got to look at and remind ourselves of before we get to Exodus 24. So chapter 15 of Genesis... We're at this place where God makes a covenant with Abraham. Abraham has left his home, he's left his whole life, everything he's known in obedience to God. He's following God, he's trusting God's promise, and he's going wherever God calls him. He's told that his offspring will be as numerous as the stars, if you remember. He says, look out, as many as you can count, so will your offspring be. We looked at that a couple weeks ago. And then he says, and with your old age, even your old age, you will have a child. And one day, during this time, the Lord comes to him a vision and that's chapter 15 verse 9 so genesis chapter 15 verse 9 if you're there say amen here's some bible pages turning genesis fifteen nine. here's what it says so he said to him bring me a three-year-old heifer a three-year-old female goat a three-year-old ram a turtle dove and a young pigeon and then he brought all these to him and cut them in two down the middle middle, and placed each piece opposite the other. But he did not cut the birds in two. And when the vultures came down to the carcasses, Abram drove them away. And now when the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram. And behold, horror and great darkness fell upon him. And then he said, so God said to Abram, Know certainly that your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not theirs, and we and will serve them, <clears throat> and they will afflict them for 400 years. And also the nation whom they serve, I will judge. Afterward, they shall come out with great possessions. Now as for you, as for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried in a good old age. But in the fourth generation, they shall return here. For the iniquity of the Amorites Amorites is not yet complete. And it came to pass when the sun went down and it was dark, listen to this, that behold there appeared a smoking oven and a burning torch that passed between those pieces. What pieces? The animals that were cut in half. And on the same day, verse 18, the Lord made a covenant with Abram and saying to your descendants I have given this land from the river of Egypt to the river, the great river, the river Euphrates. And so this is huge when we understand the covenant. When we understand the covenant, this passage is so special. Now there's there's pictures of this covenant before this, but this is the first passage where it says, the Lord made a covenant. He made a covenant with Abraham, and Abram is his name at this point. And the language, the literal language is the Lord cut a covenant. That's the language it uses. He cut a covenant. And now we're not too far removed from that. We use similar language, don't we? Don't we say you cut a deal? Y'all ever said that? I cut a deal? Or you strike a bargain. Y'all ever heard those sayings? That comes from this language of cutting a covenant. You cut a covenant. Now, why would that be the language used? Well, it seems to reflect the covenant-making process of ancient times. What do we do when we come into a contract? There's a dotted line. I had to sign one for the Anderson County Youth Livestock Association building because we're renting it out for this event this week. I had to get a contract, had to go through, and you know what I had to do? Yeah, we hope I read it, right? (laughs) And then at the end, there's a dotted line or a line that says, Please sign here. Thank you. And then you sign your name, and that's you making a contract with them. Now, in the old times, they didn't have paper. They didn't have things like this. And so it seems to be that the way they made a covenant is that they would take an animal, and they would slice it in half. They would lay it out, and they would walk through it. And the point would be is if I break this covenant, just as these animals were slashed in half and died, so shall it be to me. Whew, covenants meant a little more to you then, didn't it? Man, if I had to walk through dead animals and say that's me, if I break it, I think it would mean more than just me signing my name on something. But that's the way it was. And, and we see this in this passage here. In Zedekiah, with, in Jeremiah 34, it's the same thing. His men had to make a covenant. It says that they walked through animals that were cut in half as well. So we see this through Scripture. In essence, if, as the animal is cut up, so shall you if you um, break the covenant. It's the curse of breaking the covenant. But what we see here. And this passage is the grace of God's covenant. Why do we see the grace of God's covenant? Because Abram never walks through it. Did y'all catch that? It says a deep sleep went on him. And what happened? It says that a, a smoking oven... A smoking oven and a burning torch, which I believe are allusions to the pillar of cloud and the pillar of fire, which was the presence of God. And so you have this picture of God's presence while Abram's sleeping, walking through, saying, I have made a covenant with you, Abram. Because the reality is, is Abraham was never really going to be able to fulfill that covenant. Because we're sinful men that have fallen from the glory of God. And God makes this covenant, this promise with them. And he's the one that walks through it. And what was the covenant? That he would be their God and they would be his people. And that they were promised this land. But if you caught it, it said, I want you to know your family, your descendants will be what? He says foreigners, strangers in a land for how many years? 400 years. What's he talking about there? talking about slavery in Egypt, right? He says, I want you to know that there's slavery coming to your people. For 400 years, they'll be in bondage. They'll be slaved. And did this happen? Yes, it happened in Egypt. We have been going through Exodus since April, y'all. And so we have been walking through this story of where they have been slaved for 400 years. And God uses Moses to lead them out, to let my people go. We've been walking through this. He's led them out. And in fact, right now, when we pick up in Exodus 24... Right now is the point where they've been led out. They've been led to the Mount Sinai where Moses meets with God. And then God gives the commandments. He walks through this. And right now they are at this place of where they are freed, yet not experiencing the fulfillment of the promise yet. Because what was the promise? He said, I'll give you this land, this great land between the rivers. And so imagine how important this covenant would have been for you if you're the Israelites, you've just been led out of slavery, you were told that you would be in slavery for 400 years, Moses leads you out, 400 years later you're waiting to enter into the promised land, don't you think your mind's going to go back to, man, y'all remember what God told Abraham? He said he made a covenant with him. And so as we go to Exodus 24, y'all turn here. Exodus 24, this is going to make Exodus 24 so good when you understand the backstory here. Because here they are waiting for the promise after 400 years of slavery. And what does God do in Exodus 24? Well, that's the second point this morning. God reaffirms this covenant with blood. God reaffirms this covenant that he made with Abraham that's continued to be promised to the people. And he reaffirms it with blood. And this is going to be really important. I want you all to stay with me today. And so Exodus 24, verses 1 through 8, if you're there, say amen. It says, now he said to Moses, come up to the Lord, you and Aaron, Nadab, and Abihu. Y'all ever want to name your kids Abihu? I think it'd be a good name. Abihu, get over here. Now he said to Moses, come up to the Lord, you and Aaron, Nadab, and Abihu, 70 of the elders of Israel, and worship from afar. Verse 2, and Moses alone shall come near the Lord, for they shall not come near, nor shall the people go up with him. So Moses came and told the people all the words of the Lord, and all the judgments, and all the people answered with one voice in unity. They answered what they say, all the words which the Lord has said, we will do. We'll do it, Moses, whatever he says, we'll do it. Verse 4, "...and Moses wrote all the words of the Lord, and he rose early in the morning and built an altar at the foot of the mountain, and twelve pillars according to the twelve tribes of Israel. And then he sent young men of the children of Israel who offered burnt offerings and sacrificed peace offerings of oxen to the Lord. And Moses..." Now this is when it gets weird, y'all. Verse 6, "...and Moses took half the blood and put it in basins, and half the blood he sprinkled on the altar." And then he took the book of the covenant and read it in the hearing of the people. And they said, all that the Lord has said, we will do and be obedient. And Moses took the blood, sprinkled it on the people, and said, this is the blood of the covenant which the Lord has made with you according to all these words. Wow. Pretty interesting passage here. They're waiting 400 years, they get released. They're in freedom now. They're waiting for the promise to be fulfilled. And what does God say? He says, I'm reaffirming this covenant with you. Come here, Moses. Come here, y'all. Seventy elders, y'all come up. Moses, you come closer. He says, come and worship me. That's how it starts. Don't miss it. He says, come up to the Lord and worship. Come and worship. And what does the response look like? What's the response of true worship? They said in one voice, whatever the Lord has said, we will do it. All the words which he said, we will do. Y'all know, I think we get a wrong idea of worship sometimes today. I think sometimes we think worship's this emotional response when we're singing or when we're hearing word, the word of God preached. and It's an emotional response, and that's part of worship, yes. But, but real true worship is when that emotional response then turns into obedience. And you start saying, if I really love you and adore you, God... If you really loved me and given me the capability to love you back, if that's all true, then let me follow you. Let me worship you in obedience. Whatever you say, Lord, we will do. And for a man, a man to be able to worship a holy God, there must be a sacrifice, we're told. Moses builds an altar, and what does he do? He goes and sends out for those young men that gave a burnt offering and a peace offering and who had offered oxen, and what does he do? He says, Go get them, give me the blood. He takes a basin of blood. Y'all listening, right? He takes a basin of blood, and he starts sprinkling it all over the altar. Could y'all imagine? Can you imagine if I had a big bowl of blood up here, and I'm talking to you, and I start sprinkling it all over the altar? And then he says, the book of the covenant's read to you. And he starts reading the book of the covenant and, it, and it's read in the hearing of the people. And so they're all hearing. And as they're hearing what's being said there, this, this blood then gets taken and then starts to be sprinkled on you. Let's get the picture in our mind, y'all. Blood all over the altar. I got blood sprinkled all over you. Now y'all are saying, what kind of Baptist church is this? I'm out of here. Right? Right? <laughs> you got this blood going all over you, and then you got blood running down your eyes, running down your face. It's all over the floors. It's stinking in here. Can you imagine this picture? I mean, I want to put this in perspective for us. There's blood everywhere. It's a bloodbath. It's literally a bloody mess. Everywhere you can imagine, there's blood. And why? Because there has to be a reconciliation made between an unholy man and a holy God. And that reconciliation takes a sacrifice, and that sacrifice demands blood. And so there's a very clear picture of how much blood is demanded, what that looks like in this time where they're meeting with the Lord. It takes sacrificial blood to fulfill the reconciliation. So Moses sprinkled blood over all the altar, over all the people, and it was a picture of the cost of sin. Y'all remember, God promised life in the beginning. In the Garden of Eden, he promised life. He says, you can have life, and it's very good. He says, just obey me. Don't disobey me. If you disobey me, I promise death to you. And Satan gets in on it, and he says, oh, God won't surely bring death upon you. And they disobey God, and what happens? Death is surely brought on them. And from that moment on, church... It's a bloodbath through all the scriptures. Literally, very next thing that happens is they're ashamed of their nakedness and there has to be a sacrifice of animals to be able to cover them up. And then the very next thing after that, immediately after that, what happens? Well, you have the two first sons of the world kill one another. Mom and dad have to watch their son kill their other son. And God comes to them, comes to... Cain and says, Cain, the blood of your brother cries out from the ground. You take it on all the way to the blood of the lamb that was put over the doorpost at Passover. There's blood all over the scriptures. Why? Because our reconciliation demanded blood. Hebrew picks up on this, so flip over to Hebrew 9 with me. Hebrews 9. I want to tie this in for you together because I am telling you at the end, if you stay with me, you're going to look at God in a whole new way. You're going to be amazed and adore him for for what he's doing because he's made a covenant. He reaffirms it with blood. And then we're going to see the reality and the purpose of this. So go to Hebrews chapter 9, verse 18 is where we're picking up. Hebrews 9, verse 18. If you're there, say Amen. Therefore, not even the first covenant was dedicated without blood. For when Moses had spoken every precept to all the people according to the law, he took the blood of calves and goats and water and scarlet wool and hyssop and sprinkled both the book itself and all the people, saying what we just read, this is the blood of the covenant which God has commanded you. Then likewise he sprinkled with blood both the tabernacle and all the vessels of the ministry. And according to the law, almost all things were purified with blood. And without shedding of blood, there is no remission. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. So you have this covenant that was made. You have it reaffirmed as they're waiting the promise of God. And now it gets better. Because now as we continue in the book of Hebrews, what we're going to see is not only did God make a covenant, not only does he reaffirm the covenant with blood, but now the third point is God establishes a new covenant with his blood. And so this is the picture, this is the requirement, the, 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 the strong cost of blood and the picture of sin and all that, that, that is required to reconcile us. Now Jesus in Hebrews is going to tell us Jesus is, is the one who gives remission by the shedding of his blood. And so third point, God establishes a new covenant with his blood. Hebrews 6 verse 13, Hebrews chapter 6 verse 13, we're going to stay in Hebrews for a moment here. So Hebrews 6, verse 13, if you're there, say amen. You're getting there. Hebrews 6, 13. For when God made a promise to Abraham, because he could swear by no one greater, he swore by himself. We're calling back to Genesis 15 here. Verse 14, saying, Surely, blessing I will bless you, and multiplying I will multiply you. And so after he had patiently endured, he obtained the promise. For, in, for men indeed swear by the greater, an oath for confirmation is for them an end of all dispute. But thus God, determining to show more abundantly to the errors of promise the immutability of his counsel, confirmed it by an oath. That by two immutable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we might have strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold of the hope set before us. This hope, listen church, you need to hear this today. This hope we have as an anchor of the soul. We just sung that today. That we have this hope as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, which enters the presence behind the veil. For where the forerunner has entered for us, even Jesus, having become high priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. You see, God made a covenant and he swore by himself. He says, man can swear on all these things. He says, but I swear by myself. A holy God saying, I promise you on my own name. And this is true too. Isn't this what happened with Abraham? Abraham was asleep. And what does God's presence do? God's presence is the one that makes the covenant. It's him making the covenant. Him swearing by himself. And the curse of the covenant would be that if one failed, they would be as dead as the sacrificed animal. But hear this, Abraham would have failed if he made the covenant, but he didn't make the covenant for he was asleep. But if he would have failed, his curse would have been what? To die as a sacrificed animal that was just there. But what does God do instead? Rather than Abraham dying, Abraham lives because he believed God and it was accounted to him as righteousness, it says. He believed God and is counted as righteousness. Now get this, and the one who died, the one who took the curse, For the breaking of the covenant, which he did not break, for he is God, is the God-man, him only, Jesus Christ, who took the curse for us and became the Lamb of God sacrificed for us. And if God affirmed this covenant through the blood of animals sprinkled by Moses, how much more so does he affirm this covenant by the blood of Jesus sprinkled on us? In fact, that's what he says in Hebrews 9. Look at it with me. Hebrews 9, verse 11. You are doing a great job with your Bible drills this morning. Hebrews 9, verse 11. Here's what it says. But Christ came as high priest of the good things to come, with the greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation, not with the blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood, He entered the most holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. For if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling the unclean sanctifies for the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? And for this reason, he is the mediator of the what? The new covenant. By means of death, for the redemption of the transgressions under the first covenant, that those who are called may receive the promise of eternal inheritance. For where there is a testament, there must also be necessity to be the death of the testator. And for the testament is enforced after men are dead, since it has no power at all while the testator lives. So therefore, Jesus establishes a new covenant with his own blood. Church, I can't emphasize with you, the importance of the blood of Jesus today. I can't emphasize enough the importance of it to recognize the blood of Jesus and what it means for me and you today. When I think of the blood of Jesus, my first thought goes to the Garden of Gethsemane. And he's there praying at the Garden, knowing that the cross is the very next thing for him. And what does he do? He starts sweating blood because he's in such agony. Our Lord Prayed in a garden, ready to give his life up. And was in such agony during that time that he literally sweats blood. And you know what he says? He says, your will, God, not mine. That's true sacrifice. That's true surrender. Your will, God, not mine. Followed by obedience, even to the point of death on a cross. I also think about the crown of thorns. There's a crown on the top of this cross over here. I think about that crown being put on your head, and it was put on our Lord's head. And the thorns digging into his flesh, causing blood to run down the back of his head, causing blood to get in his eyes, and blood down his face, dripping down his chest. I think about the blood of Jesus on on his back when he was lashed and beaten literally with all kinds of torture devices to where His flesh was open for you and for me. I think about the blood of Jesus as He was walking the way to Calvary and that whole road while He was carrying the cross, the blood just slattered and smeared all over the road to Calvary. I think about Him on the cross hanging and the blood dripping down and running down the cross to the foot of the cross. And the blood that was there when the the soldier takes and pierces his side, and it says blood comes out and water followed. Y'all, Jesus bled for us. He bled for us. And why is that so important? Why is it critical to understand the emphasis and the importance of the blood of Christ? Because it required the blood of a perfect sacrifice. The spotless lamb. Jesus was the sacrifice and we're cleansed by his blood. Look at it with me. Hebrews 10. Hebrews 10 verse 11. And every priest stands ministering daily and offering repeatedly the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But this man, Jesus, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, he sat down at the right hand of God. From that time waiting till his enemies are made his footstool. For by one offering he has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. But the Holy Spirit also witnesses to us for after he has said before, this is the covenant I will make with them. Here he's quoting Jeremiah. This is the covenant I will make with them. After those days, says the Lord, I will put my laws into their hearts and in their minds, I will write them. And he adds, their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. More Now where there is remission of these, there is no longer an offering for sin. Jesus' blood was good enough to cover every sin in this room. Amen, buddy. Every sin. You know how many times I hear as a pastor, I don't know if Jesus can truly forgive me. Things I've done. I don't know if Jesus can truly forgive me. And I'm not doubting how bad the things is that you've done because I've done bad things too. In fact, it's probably far worse than we can even imagine ourselves. But the reality is, is Jesus' blood is so good at satisfying, being a propitiation, it tells us in scripture, that it satisfies the wrath of God, and it is so good that it covers the worst and worst of anything we could have ever imagined doing that's the blood of jesus that cleanses us through the ultimate sacrifice holy and perfect through his blood and then there is no remission of sin and then he says i will remember it no more church maybe you need to hear today that there is too much time that you're wasting remembering your past sins just give them to jesus just give them to him let him remember them no more And if it's good enough for him to remember no more, if Jesus' blood is good enough for him to remember your sins no more, then may you forget them too. What does this mean for us? If this is true, if remission comes through the blood of Jesus, if the covenant was made, if it was reaffirmed, if it's established in a new covenant by his blood, if we're cleansed by the blood, then what does that mean for us today then? Because it's one thing to hear all this and say, that is awesome. But now, what do we do? The response, how do we respond to this? Go to Hebrews 10, verse 19. Hebrews 10, verse 19, he says, Therefore, brethren... Because this is true, because the blood of Jesus is so good, therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, be it by a new and living way which he consecrated for us, through the veil that is his flesh, and having a high priest over the house of God, let us, here's what we do, let us draw near with the true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from the evil consciousness and our bodies washed with pure water, 23, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. Not forsaking the assembly of ourselves together in the manner as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. He says, therefore, by the blood of Jesus, you are able to enter the Holy of Holies. Enter it with confidence and boldness. And being able to enter that place, he says, draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith. There are too many Christians that walk around doubting the assurance of their faith. There are too many that walk around saying, I don't really know if my faith is true. I don't really know if, if I'm assured. Or they have no assurance. And, and, and here's what, what he says. He says, Jesus' blood is good enough to give you assurance. It's not based on you and what you do and how you do it. The response is, is God, you are good enough. Your blood is good enough. And if I trust you, and I believe you died for me, and if I believe that it's true, and I've surrendered to that, then your blood is good enough. And I can have assurance of faith. I can go anywhere boldly. I can enter into the holy of holies. I can go past the veil. I can be in the presence of God because my faith is assured by the blood of Jesus. He says, let it be assured He says, let us draw near. He says, hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. Why? He says, because he who promised is faithful. Hold fast the confession of faith. Hold on to hope. Hold on to hope. He says, let us consider one another. Stir up love and good works. He says, don't be in the habit of not gathering together as the church. He says, be a part of the church. Join together. Worship together. Why? Because we stir up one another. We love one another. You see, church isn't just for you. It's for the one another. Let's love one another. Stir up one another. Oh, my. Here's the real deal, y'all. This new covenant is extremely important. And our response to the new covenant, which we're about to respond by taking the blood, his blood of the new covenant. That's what it says. That's so why it's important to understand this today. Because our response to the new covenant of the Lord's blood is critical and and Hebrews is going to go on and, and walk through this. If you're in Christ and you live by faith and it's evidenced by your obedience in Him, and I'm not saying perfect, but if you desire to obey Him and you walk desiring to be in obedience to God, then praise God what a blessing. Enter the Holy of Holies with the blood of Jesus sprinkled all over you. But if you go about hearing this truth, and you go on willfully sinning and not really minding anything that's been shared today, any of the goodness of God and His blood, if you go on willfully sinning from here, not really caring about what you've heard, then there is no sacrifice for your sins, it says. Listen, Hebrews 10, 26. Y'all go there. This is too important to leave out. Hebrews 10, 26. If you're there, say amen. For if we sin willfully... After we have received the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a certain fearful expectation of judgment and fiery indignation which will devour the adversaries. Anyone who has rejected Moses' law dies without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. Of how much worse punishment do you suppose will be the thought worthy of who has trampled the Son of God underfoot? counted the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified a common thing and insulted the spirit of grace. For we know him who said, vengeance is mine and I will repay, says the Lord. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing. Listen to verse 31. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. It says, if those who reject the covenant of Moses If those who reject his covenant... If they die without mercy on the testimony of two or three, how much worse is the punishment for the ones that treat the gospel as a common thing and it doesn't change their life? How much is it worse of a punishment to the one who has heard the truth and goes on about their life disregarding the truth? How much worse of a punishment would it be if you don't obey God, if you just go about your own life and you say, oh, that's something he did, praise God, he did it, but I'm going to do my own thing. How much worse will your punishment be, he says, the Lord has said Vengeance will be mine. And it is a fearful thing to fall in the hands of God. But he carries on. He carries on. May you hear today and not count it as a common thing. Do not trample the Son of God under your feet today. Verse 32. But recall the former days, he says. Recall the former days in which, after you were illuminated, you endured a, a great struggle with sufferings, partly while you were made a spectacle, both by reproaches and tribulations, and partly while you became companions of those who were so treated. For you had compassion on me in my chains and joyfully accepted the plundering of your goods, knowing that you have a better and enduring possession for yourselves in heaven. Therefore, do not cast away your confidence, which has great reward, for you have need of endurance. So that after you have done the will of God, then you may receive the promise. For yet a little while, and he who is coming will come and will not tarry. Now the just shall live by faith, but if anyone draws back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who draw back to perdition. Don't miss this verse, church. But we are not of those who draw back to perdition, but of those who believe to the saving of the soul. What does the author of Hebrews say here? He says, if we go on disregarding the gospel and living our life however we will and please, and we treat it as a common thing, I don't care what prayer you've said, what baptismal tank you've been in, if it doesn't change your life, if it's a common thing and it doesn't really matter to you, then the reality is, is, he says, you are without Christ. There is no sacrifice for your sins. But he says, brother and sister, listen to me. Brother and sister, we are not those that fall back into perdition. We are not those who fall back away from Christ. He says, we are those that endure to the end. We are those that stick it out to the saving of our soul. And there's a blessing here of the, the goodness of the blood of Jesus. He says, remember the former days. Walk in God. Truly believe and obey Him. Respond to the new covenant, not by treating it as a common thing. And that's your response. How are you going to respond today, How are you going to respond? Will you treat it as a common thing? Will you leave here and say, that pastor was really fired up and he just kept on going and go about your life? Would you hear me? He says, if you go on sinning willfully, then apparently the gospel has no impact, has not changed your heart. I'm not preaching perfection I sin, I still have struggles with sin. But my heart desires God. I desire Him and I desire to walk in obedience. And so my question is to you is, will you treat it as a common thing, where you just do your own thing? Or will you be moved today when He says, we don't fall back into that. But rather the saving of our soul. We respond to the goodness of this new covenant. Church, we're about to take of the Lord's Supper. And Jesus literally says, this is my bread. He takes it, he breaks it, gives thanks, and he gives it to them. He says, take, eat, do this as often as you do it in remembrance of me. It is broken for you. And then he takes the cup. And you know what he says? He says, this cup is my blood of the new covenant. My blood of the new covenant. When you take of this cup, recognize that he has established a new covenant for you. And that the blood of Jesus has paid for your sin. And you respond and thank God for that salvation. And you take of it with bold confidence, entering into the presence of God. But if you don't, hear me. I'm so burdened today. If you hear me, I want you to hear me. If you take of this cup as if it's a common thing, as if it's just grape juice and you're at church and that's what these church people do and I don't want to stand out, I just want to take this cup and get it out of my way. If you treat it as a common thing and you just go about this without really going to the Lord, he says there's no sacrifice for your sin. He says you've trampled the Son of God under your feet. So my question is, is what are you going to do today? Will you rejoice and enter the presence of God as He's established a new covenant by His blood? Or will you trample the Son of God under your foot? Father, we come before you right now, Lord Jesus. And God, I know that there is sin in this room that needs to be dealt with, Lord. Lord, we each could come to this altar today and lay it before you and say, God, my heart is wrong in this, and I know it, and I've got to give it over to you, Lord. I can't just treat the gospel as a common thing. I can't just go about my life just knowing that, that this is a true part, but it's not really affecting me. Lord, I need to surrender completely to your lordship today. Lord, would you speak to them, to each one of us? And may this altar be filled, Lord, because we are getting right with you. And it's not by us saying we'll do better. And not because of us saying that, that, that we can change. But us recognizing that we can do no better. Us recognizing that we can't change on our own. And recognizing that we need the blood of Jesus. And so would the blood of Jesus wash this room, Lord? Would the blood of Jesus come upon each head in here and, and cleanse us completely? Would the blood of Jesus be something that, that rights on our our hearts with the Spirit of God? Will the blood of Jesus be something that puts your laws in our minds to where we desire to follow you today, Lord? Lord, may it not be a common thing today. Father, before we take of this Lord's Supper, we need to deal with sin. We need to deal with our relationship with you. And so before the deacons even come forward, Lord, we're gonna have a time of invitation. We're gonna have a time, Lord, where we put it all before you and say my heart needs to be right before I take of this because I don't want it to be a common thing. In the name of Christ, I pray, amen. Y'all stand with me. Y'all respond to the Lord. Is he Lord over that area in your life? The one you're holding on to right now, would you give it to him? listening today and we trust that you were blessed by an almighty God that loves you. Friendship loves you as well. And if you would like to talk to someone, please call the church at 903-549-2542. Again, that is 903-549-2542.
2: God bless you.